welcome to Carmel Presbyterian Church's podcast channel. Open up a Bible or just listen in. We hope this week's message is a blessing to you. Good morning, Carmel Press. How's everyone doing? Good. Lovely. All right, we've been in this series on Ephesians, and today we're going to continue in chapter 4. So you can go ahead and grab a pew Bible that's in front of you, and we're on page 978. And as you turn there, let me pray for us. God, would you speak as only you can speak? Jesus, this morning as we come to you in worship, may we return to you as our one true love. Holy Spirit, may your presence captivate us in this time of worship. Praise in your name. Amen. So it's been about two weeks since we've been in the book of Ephesians. We've had a guest preacher. And so I want to just review for us chapters 1 to 3. So chapters 1 to 3, Pastor Tim has preached on, and he's taught on uh, how Paul is unpacking the significance of the gospel, the good news, and how the story of Jesus is a story of a new family forming with a new identity. And so then we reach chapter 4, and chapter 4 is this hinge for the rest of the book. If you look at chapter 4, verse 1, it starts with, I, therefore, and if you're a good teacher or student of the Bible, right, we have to say, what is that therefore? None of you, really? What is that therefore, therefore? Come on, right? Like, we have to ask, why is that there? And so Paul is saying, that is there for everything I just instructed you on. The gospel of Jesus, grace through faith, your spiritual inheritance, this oneness in the body of Christ, this mysterious, never-ending love of God. For all of that, Paul is saying, now... I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel you have been called to. NIV, live a life worthy of the gospel you've received. And so chapters four to six, the rest of Paul's letter is saying, what does it mean to live out our faith in everyday circumstances? How will you begin to walk? Or rather, how will you change your walk? We all have a unique walk. Some of you are really fast walkers. I've walked with you. You're very fast. Some of you are very slow and methodical. Others of you have like a little swagger to your walk, a little like skip in your step. How will that walk change because of your faith in Christ? How will your walk change in light of the gospel? Paul goes on in this letter and he leaves no stone unturned. He talks about every area of our life. He's going to talk about anger. He's going to talk about sex, about marriage, about parenting. Are you going to be a truth teller? Are you going to lie? What is your work ethic going to be? All areas of our life should be affected by chapters one through three. The gospel should penetrate every area of your life. But what sometimes happens when we read Ephesians, especially the second half of the letter, is we think that all Paul cares about is being the moral police. That all he cares about is our behaviors. It's a surface reading, but it happens. And so we take out sections and we hold it up as a measuring stick for how the world should live. But I want to be clear this morning that Paul, yes, he cares about our behaviors, but what he cares most about is our identity. What he cares most about is what's internal, our character issues. Paul is going to combine our identity with our beliefs, with our actions, by using this metaphor of putting on and taking off clothes. And isn't that true that we often return back to and are attached to things that don't fit us anymore? I had this pair of jeans, my favorite pair of jeans, We went to Europe and back, me and this pair of jeans, and they were wonderful. Had a lot of great times together. But after all the gelato in Italy, what happened? They didn't fit. Thanks for not assuming that, but yeah, they didn't fit. They didn't fit me anymore. And I was so sad because I loved this pair of jeans. I felt good in this pair of jeans. And so when it was time for spring cleaning, I put them in the pile three times. 
Why three times? Because three times I took them out of the pile because I wanted to keep them. I was so attached to them. And in our text this morning, Paul is telling the Ephesians, guess what? As Christians, you have a whole new wardrobe. You have something way better. So your old wardrobe, it needs to go. So the main point this morning that Paul is getting at in this text is put off the old you so that you can put on the new you. And how is through the renewing of your minds. There's two sections that we're going to break down, verses 17 to 19. Paul is saying, stop living like this. Stop living like this so that, verses 20 to 24, you can live according to your faith in Christ. Live like this. And so that's how we're going to break down the verses this morning, section by section. So turn to chapter 4, verse 17. The reason I had Josh read verses 1 to 3 is because Paul does something interesting. 1 to 3, he leaves us on a cliffhanger at verse 3 about living and walking a certain way. And Pastor Tim talked about how we have oneness in Christ. And then verse 17, he comes back to verse three, that moral exhortation, that moral charge, saying God demands that you walk and live differently. So verse 17, now I say, now this I say and testify to the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Pause right there really quick. Gentiles, we've talked about, is this ethnic category for non-Jewish people, people that are not Jewish. Who is Paul writing to here? Flip back a chapter Chapter 3, verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of the gospel, Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. Did I read the wrong verse? I did. All right, chapter 3, verse 1. That was it. Who's writing to the Gentiles? But then he's saying in chapter 4, don't live like the Gentiles. If Paul was writing this letter to us today, he would say, hey, I see you in Carmel-by-the-Sea. I see you in California. I see you in the U.S., but don't live like you live there. But Paul, I, I do live here. So what is he doing? Is he saying, don't be the thing that you are? Yes, he is. He's saying, technically, by birth, you are Gentiles. Technically, we, non-Jewish people, we are Gentiles. But if you're a Christian, if you believe chapters one to three, Paul is saying, everything I just told you about the gospel, if you believe that, then your identity is no longer primarily in your ethnic or national background. You are something new. You are something new, a new humanity in a new human that is Jesus. So out the gates, Paul is saying, I want to challenge your identity. You are a Christian who is Jewish or Roman or Greek. You are a Christian who lives in the U.S. You are a Christian who is a man or a woman. You may be ethnically Gentile. You may culturally identify with the U.S. or I would identify as a Mexican, Cuban, American. I can identify as those things. That can be my culture and my ethnicity. But Paul is saying you are ethically, your ethics come from Jesus, from being a Christian. So don't neglect that new identity. And so what Paul now does, 17 to 19, is he lays out what it was like to walk as a Gentile. He's saying, if you don't remember, let me tell you. Verse 17, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. This Anglican priest, John Stott, he talks about the section, this section of scripture and how there's three things that intersect. He said, it's our Christian experience, what we are, who we are. It's our Christian theology, what we believe. And it's our Christian ethics, how we behave. 
Another commentator said, what we are governs what we think. And what we think determines how we act. These three areas cannot be separated. If our primary identity, our sole identity, is that we are Gentiles, and our thought pattern will reflect that. And our thoughts then will be reflected into our actions. But if we have our primary identity as followers of Jesus, that's going to determine our thoughts, and that's going to determine how we live in this world. If we are here today and we hear the good news about Jesus, but we walk out these doors and we have Dory amnesia and we leave it all here, oh, that would be so sad. And so Paul says there's five problems with people who haven't experienced the union with Christ, relationship with Christ. He's saying they're hopelessly confused. They're darkened in their understanding. They're alienated from a life with God. Their heart is hard so much so that it has calluses around it and they are greedy and they give in to lustful desires. That is not a good picture. That is not a pretty picture. So I have to ask us though, do you see yourself anywhere in that picture that Paul paints? Maybe you can look at that picture and you say, yeah, my, my old self, before I knew Jesus, I can see some of me in there. But the harder question that I think Paul is getting at is do you see any of your present self in that picture? Because Paul is writing to a church. He's writing to people that believe in Jesus. And he's saying that these things are coming out of them. He's not writing to people who have never heard the gospel. He's writing to a church. And so as a church, we have to hold a mirror up and say, do I see myself in this? Is my heart hard? Have I given into greedy practices? Am I insensitive to sin? Because these dominoes of sin, they begin to hit and it gets us to a place where we don't even know how we got there. Paul's not minimizing that they are complicit in sin. They are acting in sin. But he's also emphasizing that sometimes we just don't get it. Like we are aimlessly wandering further and further and further from God. And our entire way of thinking has become so pointless and so empty because we've rejected who God says that he is and replaced God with ourselves, with our own ideas, our own knowledge, our own identity. And so these dominoes, they take us further and further and further from God. Hardness of heart, ignorance, separation from God. And I think the most dangerous place it lands us is being numb to sin. The ESV in verse 19, it says we become callous and they've given themselves up to sensuality. Other translations will say they've lost all sensitivity. They have no sense of shame. We're gonna continue in sin if we have an insensitivity to the voice of God and to sin itself. When you lose all sensitivity, you lose all self-control. In 2020, when, when the pandemic first hit and people were getting COVID, some of those milder symptoms were losing taste and smell. And so all these videos started popping up on the internet of people who had lost their taste and lost their smell. And they started trying a lot of different foods. Or they started eating onions just like they were apples. They started drinking tall glasses of lemon juice and lime juice, spoonfuls of garlic and trying to, the hottest chili peppers, eating everything they could and nothing happened. No reaction, right? No sensitivity. Their taste buds could care less what they were putting in their mouth. Without a sensitivity to sin, we're gonna keep going thinking it's inconsequential. No reaction, no reaction. And in the case of these COVID-positive people that were trying all these things, their mouth wasn't sensitive. Their taste buds weren't sensitive. But guess what was? Their stomachs. Yeah. 
So it's awesome at first to eat whatever you want. Like, it's great. No consequence. But later, there's going to be a consequence. Maybe not that moment, but later. And I didn't watch those videos because I didn't want to see how they ended. But I guess that they all suffered somehow. Guys, we suffer too. We suffer from a buildup of a tolerance to sin. Sin is going to hold you longer. It's going to take you places, make you do things, make you say things, make you believe things as if it was normal to the point where you no longer feel, feel that harm that it's causing you, but it is eating away at you inside and out. I know this. As I sat in this text for this week and I prayed, I realized, and I realized Paul was holding up a mirror to my heart that there are some calluses in there, that there are some ways that I've wandered from God. We have to hold that mirror up to ourselves. But there is hope. So let's keep reading. Verse 20. Paul is saying, but this is not, that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have been, that you have heard about him and were taught in him. Pause really quick. Paul changes his tone here, right? Verses 17 to 19, it's this dark picture. But Paul is saying, wake up, church. That is not you. You Gentile Ephesians, you Gentile Christians, you U.S. Christians, you are different than your neighbors. You are different than the people that surround you. You've learned, you've heard, you've been taught about Christ. And that message, that message of the gospel that's in my hands, in our hands, it should have changed everything in your life. When Jesus came into your life, it should have changed everything. You were dead in sin. You wandered from God. You were ignorant and selfish. But at the same time, God loved you. He loves you now. God went to the cross for you. He died for you. And so in the midst of our failures and our brokenness, God's love floods in. But the way of Christ, it's not just about knowledge. It's not just about instruction. We can hear, we can learn, we can be taught about Christ, but it's not just a mental ascent. We have to be shaped by a relationship with a risen Christ. Remember, our identity, our thoughts, our behaviors, they are intertwined. And so Jesus is not just after changing our behaviors and doing behavior modification. Yes, we do need proper biblical instruction. We are gathered here together Sunday after Sunday to receive good biblical instruction. But as I said before, if you walk out those doors and you leave what you learned here at the doors, you are separating your thoughts from your beliefs, from your actions. Last week, we heard about how Jesus gave the disciples this, this last command to be witnesses. Great, awesome, good command. But if they never embodied being a witness, if they never literally moved their feet and started walking and telling people, this is who Jesus is. He died for you. He rose for you. He loves you. If they never embodied being a witness, guess what? They're not witnesses. Just because you heard something doesn't make you that thing. You have to embody it. You have to live it. What Paul does here as he's talking about these verbs of learning and hearing and being taught, the direct object that follows is not the content of what's being taught. Paul does something else. He references Jesus himself as the object of the learning. Look at verse 21. Paul says, you have learned, you have heard, and you were taught, not in school, but in him, in a relationship with Jesus. That is essential. We will grow in a relationship with Jesus by studying his word, by meeting with believers, by, by praying and asking for God's righteousness, his holiness, to reflect more of his Christ-likeness. But none of that is possible unless you have a relationship with Jesus. 
And so in Jesus, Paul is saying there's three things that I'm going to teach you about the way of Jesus. Look back at verse 21. Assuming you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So three things were taught in Jesus. Put off your old self, be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new self. So Paul is first saying, out with the old. I just, Paul said, I just told you what that old way is about. It's corrupted. You all have, we all have good desires in life. You want to be in a relationship. You want to be loved, known. You want meaningful work. But a part of our old humanity, the way we once lived prior to being in a relationship with Jesus, those desires become twisted. Those desires begin to say, if I could just have fill in the blank, if I could just be in a relationship with that person, if I could just get that job, if I could just get that salary, if I could just make this person I love so dearly do exactly what I want them to do, You've prayed that, I know. <laughs> Maybe I've prayed that. If I could just have this, then I'll be secure. Then I'll be happy. Then I will feel worth. And so our old humanity, this old way of living, this lifelong pursuit of these desires, they will always deceive us. They will always trick us. They will always have a spin. And so Paul is saying the truth that is in Christ is that when you hear about Jesus, you take off that old way. You have those same desires, but no longer are they twisted and warped and deviated from the truth that is in Christ. And the way Paul is speaking to them, he's saying, this isn't new. This isn't a brand new commandment that you've never heard about. Paul's saying, we had a conversation about this before, church. We talked about this. And if he's telling them again, that means what they've done is they've gone over to their trash and they've pulled out their old self. And they're trying to put on their old self on top of their new self. If you've ever tried to put like a jacket on top of another jacket on top of another jacket, it doesn't look good. It's not comfortable. Paul's saying it doesn't fit you anymore. It doesn't fit who you are. And we have to listen because he's writing to people who've begun to walk with Jesus. He's not writing to people who don't know about Jesus. He is writing to the church. He's writing to people who have received the good news of Jesus. So they have their new wardrobe. And they're trying to put their old with their new. And Paul's saying, no, that's not the way of Jesus. So don't go digging in those giveaway piles. Don't go digging in your trash. You think that sweater from the early 2000s still looks good on you. It doesn't. It doesn't look good. So Paul's saying, throw it away. Get rid of it. Because there's something better for you. God created something much better for you. His image to put on you. I do a lot of podcasting, listening to podcasts and reading. And I really, for some reason, I love to listen to stories about people that are currently incarcerated or have been incarcerated. I don't know this population personally, but I know that I want to know their stories. I want to know what they've walked through. Millions of Americans have been in prison or in prison currently. So I want to hear from them. And so what some of them talk about, not all of them, those that are getting ready to be released and then they're released, some of them talk about how they go through this process of having to give back the uniform, they can't keep it, and they put on a new pair of clothes, brand new pair of clothes. And some of them say, once they leave prison, they walk out those doors and they're in a new pair of clothes, but their old clothes call to them. Even the prison life calls back to them, safety, security. 
They're drawn back. Even though they're wearing something new, they're drawn back somewhere else. So I think there's a different metaphor. This pastor I was listening to this week provided a different metaphor. He's not trying to change Paul, but he's saying, "Mm, Paul, it's not always so easy as just changing your clothes. So what if, what if the metaphor was less about changing your outfit, and what if the metaphor we used was a tattoo removal? What if we talked about the process Paul is talking about is removing a tattoo? So hold on to that image for a minute, because I think we all need to understand that it's not always so simple. We have to normalize it. The road back to Jesus, even when you're walking with him, there are setbacks, there are struggles. So when you put off this old self and you put on this new self, Paul is saying, verse 24, that new self is created after the likeness of God in two things, in righteousness and in holiness. That's what you get to put on. Not the old way, but this new way that is the glory of God. And so not only does God redesign, he's the designer behind this new way. It's his ideas, but he redesigns us with that which is inherently him. Do you get that? We, we get designed with that which is God. The language that Paul is using here would bring us back to the garden. When God creates Adam and Eve in Genesis 1:26, he says, let us make humankind in our image after our likeness. That which exists in God is then reproduced in genuine believers. His love of holiness, his aversion to sin, his righteousness. We get to wear that. And so now the question is, if we've put off and we've put on, how does that happen? What is that process like? And so the bridge between putting off and putting on is verse 23. Paul says, verse 23, renew your minds. And what Paul does in the Greek here is verse 22 and verse 24 is in the aorist tense. It's this tense that talks about a completed past action. Putting off, putting on. And right in the middle... Paul uses the present infinitive. He's using a verb tense that's saying, putting off and putting on, that's in the past, but what's ongoing, what's continuous, is the renewal of your minds. You are in this ongoing process. It's not a one-time thing. And it's something more akin, more like discipleship and not behavior modification. Because behavior modification, it says, just don't do this and do this instead. Stop doing that, be better at that, fix your routine. It's surface level. It's things on the outside. Sure, we can stop doing bad things. You can stop listening to a certain kind of music. You can stop hanging out with certain people. But that alone isn't going to transform you into the character of God's righteousness. I don't think that that's what Jesus has saved us for, is just to stop doing bad things. But discipleship, on the other hand, discipleship is this inward transformation of being with Jesus. Have you spent time with Jesus? Have you abided with Jesus? Have you found rest in Jesus? And out of that place, then you become like Jesus. You start to look like Jesus. And then you start to do what Jesus did. You start to live like Jesus. You start to walk like Jesus. We can't just will ourselves and think our way into a better life, a life that has righteousness and holiness. That's not what Paul's talking about. He's talking about how we need to be in an active pursuit, a renewing of our minds towards righteousness and holiness. I think that's why Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, he said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. As a church, we talk about being filled with God's love. 
being filled with his mercy, filled with his grace. But we need to be filled with his righteousness and his holiness. That is something to pray for. That's something that I'm refocusing my prayer towards. Yes, his love is great. His mercy is amazing and wonderful. Those are things, but add in praying for God's righteousness. Add in that you want to be set apart. You want to have holiness in your life. But remember, it doesn't happen overnight. And that's why we'll come back to this idea of a tattoo removal process. So removing a tattoo, super difficult. I don't know if you know this. It takes a lot of time. It costs a lot of money. There's all these different lasers, different lasers at different wavelengths for different colors. Depends on what color you have, how many colors you have to determine how many lasers are gonna be needed. The more lasers, the more money. How big the tattoo is, is gonna, is gonna mean that you're gonna pay more. It's gonna take more time. Some tattoos, they start at $400 just for one session, just to get you started. And if you have a tattoo that's about the size of a quarter, and it's just one color, just black, it's gonna go up to at least five treatments per, t- per, per session. So five treatments, $400 a piece, that's a lot of money. And then you need to wait between these sessions. You have to let your skin heal. And so there's time, right? You have to keep waiting and waiting and going back and going back and getting renewed and getting renewed. We all have invisible tattoos on us, behaviors that we've carried over, thought patterns we've carried over, sin, shame, family systems. We all have this written on us. And Christ has gone to the cross for our sins. That is true. Amen. He has gone to the cross for our sins. But God is also in this business, as we learn in Ephesians, of renewing us, of having us go back and go back and taking time to put off that old self. I was talking with a friend this week about this sermon, and he was saying, what if our righteousness and our holiness that that God uses to make up our new self, what if that feels like you put on a giant coat, a coat like three times too big for you? And it feels weird, right? You feel uncomfortable, like it's too big for me. And what if our job as believers is to grow up to fit this coat? Some of us don't like that feeling of not feeling like it fits right away. We get frustrated, like, God, I want to be better. I want to be different. I want to I wanna just be like my perfect new self all the time right now. But if you've lived some life with Jesus, you know that it's not always that easy that it takes time to build up in stature, to fill in that new self. So whether you've been walking with Jesus for 50 years, five years, one year, one month, whatever it might be, in Jesus, we put on that new self as an act of faith, as an act of obedience, as an act of trust in him, that by faith, we are cloaked in his righteousness, in his holiness. That is something we actively keep praying for, a heart that hungers and thirsts for righteousness, a heart that has an aversion to sin, It is sensitive to sin in this world. You might not feel like you deserve that coat, like you'll ever fill in that coat. But I'm gonna challenge you, wait and watch and see what happens when you pray into that, when you pray for God's righteousness, when you pray for his holiness, when you pray to grow up in stature in Christ. I think a lot of times we think about that for kids. Like kids will grow up in the way of the Lord. And that's why we send them out in church. But I'm here to talk to you guys. Like we're, we're, let's talk about this. We are no longer children. We're grown, but we will keep growing. Your growing doesn't stop. This side of heaven, we will keep growing into God's righteousness and his holiness. 
Watch how your desires will change, your habits will change, your attitudes will change. But what has to come with that is that walking. You have to start walking. Some of you have been stuck, have stayed still, are standing in one place with your feet firmly planted. And Paul is saying, you gotta move. The more you walk, the more you start putting on Christ. And the more you start putting on Christ, the more you start putting off your old self. The more you put off your old self, the more your mind is renewed. The more your mind is renewed, the more you put on that you are made in the image and the likeness of God, that you wear his righteousness and his holiness right now over you. You have to walk. You can't stay still. We read in Romans that Paul says, our old self has been put to death. It is dead. Our sin is dead. But now in Ephesians, Paul is saying you have to put it off. It's both and, church. It is knowing and having faith and trusting that your sin is dead. But it is also having obedience and discipleship to continue renewing your mind to put off your old self. And know that you will be transformed. You are being transformed into Christ's likeness in his righteousness and holiness. Let's pray. God, may this be our prayer this morning. God, may you renew our minds and our hearts. May we behold you. May we abide in you. May we hunger and thirst for righteousness. Oh God, make us sensitive to sin. May we yearn for your holiness. God, may we turn to you now in this silent time of confession. Maybe you would just bring to light the ways that we have been wandering from you. Bring to light where we haven't even seen, where we are getting further and further from you, where we have calluses on our heart. God, hear these confessions. And may we have your strength to put off who we once were, to put off our old self, and then have your strength to put on our new selves made in you. We lift up this assurance of pardon. Hear the good news that Christ died for us, Christ rose for us, Christ reigns in power for us, Christ prays for us. Anyone who is a new creation, who is in Christ, is a new creation. The old has gone, a new life has begun. Believe the good news of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Thanks be to God, amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Carmel Presbyterian Church, visit our website at www.carmelpres.org or any of our social media pages. Have a blessed rest of your week.